Well, good morning. Um, thank you all for being here this morning. For those of you joining online, we are so grateful for you as well. Um, it's funny. Today I've had, I decided to wear a sport coat and like, I'm not a big sport coat guy. And I've had so many people come up to me and say, you look good, Blake, you look good. And I'm, I've learned one of two things. Either I look really good, which, hey, could be a possibility. Or I just did not look good before. So, but thank you. Thank you for the kind words. Um, we're just so happy to see you all today. Before we get started into worship, we do have some announcements to make you aware of. Um, in our messenger, the first thing you'll see is the USM Wesley Ball Tournament. Uh, it'll be uh, June 25th at the Shadow Ridge small groups in Sunday schools, and I'm sure um, Ty will touch on it a little bit um, later on. I mean, lastly, you'll see in our youth news students, uh, we do have an activity tonight. We're going to see a movie, which is great. Uh, we're going to do mug shots at 5 o'clock, and then we're going to see Jurassic World Dinosaur woo, um, at 610. So please make sure to join us for that. Um, and lastly, before we get into worship, um, I want to say happy Father's Day. Uh, I want to Acknowledge all of you fathers who, both biological and non-biological, who have played a huge role in the lives of people um, everywhere. So I just want to know, I want you to know that I see you, that we see you, that we celebrate you, and that we honor you. Um, there are so many people who, who, in my life, I love my dad, have got other people who have been father roles to me as well, like Todd. And I call him the Todd Father. That's a pretty good name, right? Um, I, I like it. It's a nickname I call him. Um, I don't know if he appreciates that, but oh, I'm sorry. Um, but happy Father's Day to all of you. Um, we're so grateful for you. Um, and we also want to remember that today is Juneteenth, which is the oldest nationally celebrated commemoration of the ending of slavery in the United States. We want to honor this and we want to remember this. And so I'm going to um, um, offer up a prayer. And then after I pray, we're going to settle our hearts and we're going to prepare them for a time of worship. So let's pray. Holy and righteous God, you created us in your image. Grant us grace to contend fearlessly against evil and to make no peace with oppression. Help us, like those of generations before us, resist the evil of slavery and human bondage in any form, in any manner of oppression. Help us to use our freedoms to bring justice among people and nations everywhere to the glory of your holy name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.
Well, I'd like to welcome you to worship this morning. Uh, it's so nice to see you here. Uh, it means a lot to us for you to take the time to come out and be here. So we'll ask you now if you'll participate in worship by standing. And let's uh, uh, repeat our greeting and prayer together. We are created by God in the image of God. All people are created by God. In our glorious differences, we reflect the holy face of God. All who gather in Christian worship across the country and around the world are brought near to God through Jesus. We are not only Jews or Greeks. Low class or high class. Male or female. Republican or Democrat. Whole or mentally ill. Gay or straight. Black or white, citizen or immigrant, we are one in Christ Jesus. We are, we are made in God's image, so let us love each other and worship our God with joy. Amen. Our hymn of praise this morning is number 89, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee. Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, <coughs> maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, 
the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. sit down and turn to people and welcome them to church. Again, coming forward, we have a small group today, but I believe we have all beautiful young ladies today. Lovely young ladies. Hi, girls. Oops, I think you dropped your goat, Claire Grace. Good morning. Hi. Okay, y'all have a seat. And let's see. Now... Winnie and Claire Grace, you were at vacation Bible school this week, so no spilling the beans as to what I'm about to do, okay? We had, good morning, by the way, we had vacation Bible school this past week, and we were celebrating God's monumental greatness, and at the end of one of the days, I shared something that I want to share with everyone today. Now, like I said... No telling. And the two of you, that's hard. Their parents know that that's a difficult task for the two of them. Okay, y'all ready? Oh. In Genesis, in the book of Genesis, the very first book in the Bible, it says that God created everything, right? And then it says that God even created light. And there's the light. See it? It's too bright. Okay. Then we're going to jump ahead into the New Testament. And we're going to go to John. And in the book of John, Jesus is living on earth. And Jesus tells people, I am the light of the world. Now, when Jesus lived on earth, he was able to love people. He was able to share God's power and his truth, and he healed people, and he fed them, and he forgave them, and people celebrated that Jesus was here with us. But there were also people that thought that Jesus was lying, and they arrested him. And they broke his body. And they crucified him on a cross. And the day that they did that, Jesus died. He died. It's over, right? The light went out. That's right. The light went out. Death is final. It's the end. Now, sometimes in my life, maybe I don't tell the whole truth. Or maybe sometimes I might act a little selfish. Maybe I don't go to God when I should go to God. And you know what? It makes him sad when I do that, when I try to do everything for myself and don't go to him. And I can't fix that. I don't have the power 
to fix that. I've broken it. I've broken my relationship with God. But you know who does have the power? Who has the power? Jesus. God has the power to overcome that. Right? Because Jesus said that death would not keep him. That he would come again. That he would raise from the dead. And he did. And he did that for you. And he did that for me. And what we have to remember is that the light of Jesus is in us. We can make a difference through him because it's not over. He lives and he will always live. And that light will shine so very, very brightly. Okay? All right. So we are going to say a prayer together. And then we're going to go upstairs and we're going to celebrate our uniqueness. We like to do that. Do you know what unique means? We're going to talk about it. So let's bow our heads and we're going to say a prayer together. Dear God, your love is stronger than anything. You sent your son Jesus to show that love. Jesus showed your power by his life. And now we can live as your children, loved with a hope and a promise of life forever. Thank you, and we love you, and help us to shine your light of love in all that we do. And in Jesus' name, we always pray. Amen. of our prayer hymn this morning, number 451, Be Thou My Vision. Please remain seated. service where we mention those who need our prayer and so I want to remember Sarah Catherine Wallace as she continues her pretty intensive chemotherapy treatments um, Stella Haskins who's had some stints 
and surgery in her heart and this uh, medication change and needs our prayer. Joel Goss, um, who has gotten word this week from his oncology people that he only has a few weeks of life left, so remember him and his mother Kathy as they try to bring him home. Alice Cooper continues to recover from hip surgery. We want to remember Lucas Grace, the nephew of the Graces that we know who has many health issues. And we celebrate that Karen Wiseman is with us after battling some health issues. Our, we also want to remember uh, Madeline Bingham had a fall this week and hit her head, but it turned out not to be serious. A concussion, but nothing more. So we are grateful. Are there others that we want to mention at this time? Let us pray. Gracious God, we are grateful for possibilities in health, and we are grateful when we receive good news, but we also know that there are some among us who are not receiving good news. And so if we can be a part of your grace, a part of your comfort, a part of your encouragement, and even be those who suffer with others, help us to be willing to do so. Our world is a complicated world, and we, um, we are often in a bind, and our leaders, because of that, are in a bind because they have so many competing interests to deal with. And so we pray for our political and economic, our government leaders, our religious, social, cultural leaders, our, our leaders everywhere who are trying to make choices that give us the best option for the common good. Help them to be selfless, help them to be wise, help them to see a way that more of your kingdom can make its way in our world. We've mentioned a lot of people here by name, and there are probably quite a few more on our minds and in our hearts. We ask that if we can be a part of the healing and hope in any of these lives, that you would show us how, and we believe that you do care, and we believe that you're always with us. Help us to always be the reminder to those that you're always with us. We pray for ourselves that we might be more invested in being followers of you. That we might lead on our own egos, our own opinions, and somehow step more deeply into you. And because we believe that you hear and care, we pray this prayer that our Savior taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If our ushers would make their way forward, and once, um, while they're making their way forward, I want to ask you about being a steward of your witness. Uh, we are called to love our God and love our neighbor. And I seriously want to ask us all, is are we loving those that God puts in our path? It's easy to love those who love us back. But everybody from the store clerk to the waiter or waitress those are also the people that need our witness. And so as you make your way in this world, know that your love will make a difference in this world. Let us pray. Lord, you know that we try to follow you. And our witness is the best message we give of who you are in our lives. So help us to be love in this world that desperately needs it. In your holy name we pray. Amen.
That's one of my favorite anthems. When I was in college, I sang in a choir, and the composer of that came and taught us the anthem, um, and, and it was quite an experience. I'm honored that you have come out on a summer day. Um, I know it's summertime, and we're in the summer slump, and I hope that once, uh, if you are in town, that you will be here. Uh, worship on the couch, even though we're streaming, is not the same as worship in the pew, so please come out when you can. We'd love to have you. We also had VBS this past week, um, and it was high intensity every day for four days, and it, I had a great time. And I usually enjoy VBS, but this year I had a wonderful time. I had a great time with the kids, and I was the Bible adventure man. And um, it was a good time, most, mostly a good time I had by all, and we just are grateful that we can do that. And Susan runs a great Bible school and does a great job with us all. We also believe that small groups is where faith really happens for adults as well. And if you saw or heard in the announcements that Blake was announcing, um, a Sunday school class is beginning a new study starting next week. <clears throat> it's going to be led by the Wheelers, Linwood and Lauren Wheeler. And if you would like to be a part, we encourage you to be a part. And here's the way Sunday school works at Main Street. Um, you are not committing yourself for the rest of your life. If you go to a Sunday school class, you can stop in for the length of this study. And if you, you know, want to spend two or three months with them and then step out, you can. They're, you're not making a lifetime commitment. So I encourage you, if this can be a group that you could do some faith journey with, please check them out. Fathers, today is the day we honor you. And though clearly in our creation story, our God is both genders because both male and female are made in God's image, the chief relational term we use regarding God is Father. That is a high bar for the men of this world to attempt to fulfill. Through much of the history of humanity, Men have been in charge, and I'm not sure we've done such a good job of running this world, men. We need more of the attributes of the best of our fathers. Men who are secure and patient and graceful, wise, hopeful, and truly are gentle men. Men who are the best leaders are not afraid of, nor do they need to diminish the traits normally attributed to the mothers of this world. In fact, the best fathers hold the best traits of both. For those of us who've never had biological children, we still father in this world, men. And other men, if we've not had a great father, can stand in the gap for us. Now more than ever in the history of our planet, we need to imitate the Father that Jesus depended on. On this day, I call us all to resolve once more to be the man that God has called us to be. And may, for those of you who are present, may this be a blessed Father's Day for you all. Additionally, um, this week, you know, I, I, I preach every week. Um, and I'm very conscious of my delivery, but I'm not always aware of how it lands. And one of you... Um, said, you challenge us every week. And I thought, well, I guess I do. I, I don't mean to not affirm you, because I don't think you're doing a bad job as believers, by the way. Um, it's just that if I have you every Sunday of the year, I have you 52 hours out of an entire year, and I don't have any of you every Sunday of the year. And even if I have you those 52 hours, I get to speak to you about 17 minutes out of those 15, two hours. And so I am trying to communicate all that I'm supposed to communicate to you as a pastor in 17 minutes, 52 times a year. It's not, it's a lot of intensity. And so let me just be honest with you. I'm trying to challenge us to be as Christ-like as we can be. You need to know, however, that I don't have a particular agenda for you in these challenges. Um, I'm not with you enough to know your flaws or to use a more biblical term, I don't, I'm not with you enough to know what your sins are. Um, unless you are exposed in some remarkably public way, I will not know what you wrestle with. However, I am with you enough to know that none of us has got discipleship down perfectly. 
I mean, I am with you enough to know that. None of us has discipleship down perfectly. So I challenge us again and again, and often what you're hearing, by the way, in the sermons are the things that Todd is wrestling with. Um, these sermons are often as much for me as they are for you. Know that I'm constantly challenging us, but it does not mean that I think we are failing. Not at all. In fact, I want to affirm you on the journey of faith that you're making. The challenge is because I'm trying to call us more deeply into the faith than we've ever been. I just have so little time to call, and so I have to make the best of it. Today, we are going to be looking at Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through, 23 through 29. So here are these words from Paul's letter to the church at Galatia. Now, before faith came... We were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Therefore, the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came so that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise the word of god for the people of god let's pray lord we've heard this text many times and we have great hope in it help us to live in it ourselves in your holy name we pray amen in last week's sermon that i preached from the eighth chapter of romans um, paul's letter to rome Paul addressed the ongoing feud in the early church and reminded the folks that salvation comes from faith and not working out some collection of man-made laws or rules. This week's reading, Paul continues that same conversation with the church at Galatia. But if he faced strong resistance over the issues of clean and unclean foods and the issue of circumcision, which were a big deal in Romans, it was just a dress rehearsal for the real battle he faces with the church at Galatia. We Southerners, who eat almost anything, have never really taken the dietary laws um, of the Jews very seriously. I mean, I'll just tell you, I, I'm not big on organ foods. I'm not big on livers or kidneys or intestines or stomachs, but I eat pretty much everything else. But the Jews had a strong list of foods that they were told that God did not like, and they had been told that for 2,500 years. Now Paul, who had been the Jew of all Jews, now says to them, these rules are no longer required. That sent observant Jews through the roof. You can imagine and it's the same kind of response that we're having in the church now. For 2,000 years, the church has moved in one direction regarding human sexuality. And now many in the church are saying those rules should change. And it's causing many of us a lot of emotional turmoil. Change is hard and somehow often very threatening to us. And as we did last week, it might be wise for us to keep an ear to the conversation and see if Paul's words for the church at Galatia have meaning for us who are the people of Main Street, this church that have been in downtown Hattiesburg since 1883. Our times are no less challenging than the time that Paul had in his reality of the church then. Let's begin by accepting the reality that the church was originally created by a group of good Jewish boys. And I mean absolutely no offense in making that comment. But it's important to start there as we try to understand what's to come. The 12 disciples selected by Jesus were, as far as we can tell, from very observant Jewish traditional families. 
and they were quite faithful to their practice of Judaism. When they decided to follow Jesus, they left behind boats and businesses and family traditions, and some of them gave up rather sizable and respected positions. They would each have been well reared in the traditions of the Jewish community, and most likely all full practitioners of the matters of faith as their ancestors had been before them. We see this fact demonstrated several times in the Gospels, but it's most clearly in the situation where the disciples are faced with interacting with people who come from outside the Jewish faith. Gentiles, us, unless you have Jewish blood flowing in your veins, we are the Gentiles. On one occasion, and you may remember this in the text, Jesus sent a group into town for food and he was met with remarkable protest from the disciples. The protest was not because it was a long walk to town or because they didn't want to go shopping, <clears throat> but because they would probably run into unclean Gentile people there and they just didn't want to do it. It's the same when we don't want to go to certain places in any town because we don't want to encounter the poor or we don't want to encounter um, poor beggars or maybe we don't want to go there because we're the only person that will look just like us or we don't want to go there because the people there don't speak English well. It's interesting to remember that to finally get them to go, Jesus sent them on a shopping trip, 12 of them on a shopping trip, to shop for 13 of them. It seems that going in groups is nothing new in the 21st century. I mean, there's also the issue of, of the, how they felt comfortable back then. Even Jesus himself seemed at times to follow that lead. Jesus spent years living and preaching around the northern territory of Galilee. There were seven major non-Jewish cities or towns around the Sea of Galilee. Yet we have absolutely no biblical reference of Jesus ever visiting any one of those towns. It would not be at all uncommon for that to be intentional and for Jesus to avoid visiting the unclean cities of the Gentiles. Whatever he personally believed at the time, his visit to those places would have raised so many religious and political perceptions that it might have interfered with what he understood his mission to be. Not unlike us accusing each other of certain views when we become involved with certain groups of people. The gap between Jew and Gentile or the gap between really anyone non-Jewish, was tremendous. And it's so foreign to us that we forget the gap. The disciples would have all been raised to believe that if the shadow of a Gentile fell upon them as they walked by, they had to go and take a ceremonial bath to remove the uncleanness from themselves. Now, think about that. If you walked past a Jew and your shadow fell on them, they would feel the need to go and take a bath because your shadow fell on them. Think about how offensive that is. But all the disciples were brought up to believe that that was perfectly normal behavior. Each disciple knew that you just didn't mix with non-Jews. Most despised, and we've read this many times, among all the Gentiles were the Samaritans. Now living in the area on the map, if you look at a biblical map, just south of the Sea of Galilee... The Samaritans were descendants of Jews who had stayed in Israel during the Babylonian captivity and had intermarried with those who came to occupy the place. While the rest of the Jews were sent off to live in Babylon and kind of maintained their Jewishness even in the midst of Babylon, these Jews had compromised. Their offense was carried down generation to generation. So it wasn't just that their great-grandfather had intermarried. Now the great-grandson was also considered to be out of bounds for the Jews. If you ran a business, a Jewish business, and a Samaritan bought either of your services or your goods, when they went to pay you, you had them dropped their money, because all the money back then was hard currency, truly silver or gold or brass, into a bucket of water so that it would be washed before you touched it. This may help us to understand some of the outcry of the disciples when Jesus approached the woman at the well. First of all, she was a Samaritan. And the disciples simply could not understand why in the world that Jesus would want to be talking to a Samaritan. Secondly, 
It was a woman. Yes, the disciples had just as clear an understanding of the role of women as many traditional societies have around the world. And though we fully today understand the depth of some of the misperceptions they held, let's suffice it to say that the disciples were as seriously in error with this as they were with the issue of Gentiles. And there were even more misconceptions. This group of disciples had very clear understandings of people such as those who were called demoniacs. If I had preached from the gospel lesson today, it's the lesson of the Gadarene demoniac. Remember the guy who lives in the gravestone area of an outside of a town and everybody's afraid of him and they've tried to shackle him and he's so strong he breaks the chains and runs over and he's probably running mostly nude if not nude and Jesus goes and heals him. The term demoniac referred to a large group of people who would have suffered from a wide spectrum of illnesses, both physical and mental. Um, my father especially was applied to people who had seizure disorders. Uh, my father had epilepsy. And so if you've ever witnessed a massive seizure, you can see how people would think that it was from out of this world that you were somehow possessed. And it could be any, any illness. Any illness you had, any mental health Ill, illness you had, it was clearly demon possession. These people were clearly unclean and definitely to be avoided. The fact that Jesus not only sought to heal these demoniacs, but actually went to the places where they hung out and had the nerve to even touch them was too far beyond the comprehension of even the best mind of the disciples. And of course, we all know about the Romans. The Romans had occupied Palestine for years by the time Jesus comes around. And every, every Jew hated the Romans except for the Sadducees who have figured out how to collaborate and profit from Roman occupation. We have no positive word from the Jewish vocabulary about any Roman, and there was even one group known as, as the Zealots who had the number one goal in life to take the life of a Roman soldier, and so they always carried a dagger in their clothing lest they have an opportunity to kill somebody. It's good to keep in mind that many scholars think that Judas, one of Jesus' disciples, was from this party, which is why he was so disillusioned when Jesus didn't rise up in a military rebellion. I tell you all this as background on the disciples and the people around them to simply set the stage for what happens when the new church is placed into their hands. These people are the launching pad for the church as we now know it. They have spent years following and listening to Jesus. And they've met his spirit in the upper room and received his command to create the church. But inside, in their hearts of, heart of hearts, however much a disciple they may have been to Jesus, some of them were still Jewish first. They have lived with Jesus for three years, have watched him love, heal, and touch people they could not believe he related to. And they were still sure that they were correct in everything they believed about God and all the rules that they kept in the Jewish faith. In other words, and I want you to hear this clearly, they knew the Lord, but they did not let their hearts be fully changed by the Lord. They knew the Lord, but they did not let their hearts be fully changed by the Lord. And that's not a trait of only Jesus' first disciples. Many of us know the Lord, but we do not allow our hearts to be fully changed by the Lord. As long as newcomers to the church were like them, Jews, who believed in Jesus, there was no problem. They did pretty well when the women got more involved, but then there were many tasks for women to perform that they thought were more appropriate for women than for men. In fact... Since the women were there, it spared the disciples of the embarrassment of having to do a lot of these tasks for themselves. And God continues to unroll that for us in the modern reality. When Gentiles started attending, non-Jews, some of them, even Samaritan Gentiles, began attending, the disciples began having lots of problems. Then a few of the disciples, and people like Paul, went running around opening the membership to all sorts of people even if you could imagine Romans. You can almost hear the disciples saying something like, Houston, we have a problem, right? You can almost hear this echo in their lives. As you would expect, 
there was a split in the church. And if you want to read about it closely, Acts 15 is the first record of the split in the church. Some of the disciples had left Jerusalem, and along with Paul and Silas and many others, preached a gospel of salvation to all people. They offered baptism to any and all who would come to know Jesus. The disciples who remained in Jerusalem, those observant traditional boys, fought this move tooth and nail. And by the way, Peter was in that group. Now, he later changed his mind, but he was in the group that fought him tooth and nail. And he insisted that all newcomers first become Jews before they could become Christians, which meant for men's circumcision and then following all the dietary laws that nobody in the world but the Jews would understand. They also kept up their attitude toward women and anybody with any kind of illness that they would call demoniacs. The church at Galatia that we hear about today in this letter was one of those that Paul had started sometime in the past. And it had received Jews and non-Jews into its membership. But they were now under attack by the Jerusalem group and were being told that they were not only wrong, but, but, but being condemned because of their acceptance of the unclean. They were being told that they were not real Christians, and they were being told that their church was not a real church. Does this sound like the 20th and 21st century in denominational realities across all denominations in America and worldwide? So Paul wrote to the Galatians a response, and you heard part of it this morning, but I call it, as a former teacher of English, Paul wrote to the Galatians about God's rules of grammar. And so I want you to hear this this morning, and maybe this will offer us a way to engage Christ in parts of our hearts that have not been allowed to be changed. For those unfamiliar with those rules of God's grammar, let me explain them. Most groups, including the early church members from Jerusalem, spent most of their time using nouns. Nouns are words that declare things. Things like Jew, Gentile, Samaritan, Roman, woman, Demoniac. These are words that define things. If you are described as a noun, say a Gentile, it establishes boundaries and limits for you. And it puts you in a little box that determines not only your present, but your future. For you just heard that according to the, most of the disciples, Gentiles could never be disciples of Jesus and could never be part of the church unless they became a Jew first. Although few of us now use the word Gentile, at least not as a limiting noun, perhaps we have used other words. Words like woman, or black, or white, or rich, or poor, or Republican, or Democrat. That's the one I hear the most from you, by the way. Or sick, or crazy. When we use those words as nouns, we kill the individual and replace them with a concept. People cease being people and become things we despise or dismiss. And we all do it, and it's wrong. Adjectives, on the other hand, describe something about an object, not the entire object. Something might be big, or even huge, and yet it might be many other things as well. Adjectives don't limit like nouns do. In God's perspective, somebody might be a Gentile and be a number of other wonderful things as well. Someone might be a woman, or homeless, or even mentally ill, and still be many other things of great value besides. Adjectives generally only list one trait but it's one trait that does not limit the noun to that one trait. As a church, it might be interesting for us to spend our energy this way. What if we accepted Paul's challenge and began teaching the world some new lessons in grammar? 
I invite you to accept the challenge to turn nouns into adjectives in your own life. I challenge you to no longer see people around you as Christian or Muslim or women or men or homeless or sick or Democrat or Republican or any other noun you can name, but to see them as God's creation with tremendous abilities and gifts that may have some of these modifiers. I dare you to sing whomever you loathe the most. And by the way, let's don't pretend we all loathe someone. I mean, we may keep it to ourselves that we loathe someone, but we all loathe someone. I dare you to see whomever you loathe as God's creation and not be limited by the most personally limiting description that we can use. Let me ask you, when was the last, some, last time somebody used a label to describe you? And because of that label... It somehow locked you out of friendship or locked you out of the family intimacy or locked you out of a social opportunity or maybe a professional opportunity or locked you out of a club, you name it. We hate being labeled and limited by somebody else's words. And we hate the label missing the best part of who we are. Because that's what labels often do, right? They, they miss the best part of who we are. It's not that they're inaccurate. It's just that they're not all that we are. If we despise it so much, why do we do it to others? If we despise it so much, why do we do it to others? I think it's time we try God's grammar and change some of our nouns and adjectives. You, as the church, are more beautiful than you know. You know. The joy of having children this week is I heard about a lot of people's households in ways that the parents probably wouldn't like to be, me to be told. But even though they're not perfect households, they're still beautiful households. And many of you are the grandparents or aunts and uncles or friends of the family. You are way more beautiful than you know. And no, I don't want any label limiting the reality that I have in you. I don't want to be cheated of the wonder of you by thoughtlessly dismissing you somehow with a thoughtless label. Let's let ourselves and other people out of the box. Let's let ourselves and everyone else out of the box. Jesus gave the example by never letting labels limit his relationships. Jesus never let labels limit his relationships. When the religious leaders talked about him, he, he said, you're right, I do spend time with those people. When his disciples questioned it, he just went ahead and spent time with the people anyway. So if Jesus desires it, and we want to be followers of Jesus, we need to let him change that about us too. You know, I said this last week, and it's true, and it fits this slot. Um, we like lists better than relationships because lists are easier to keep. In relationship. If I have a, a list of check boxes, I can move along that much easier than somehow spending a lifetime having a relationship with you with all the give and take and some days I'm having a bad day and some days you're having a bad day and we hit a rough spot. And... But there is such beauty in you. And if Jesus desires it and we want to be followers of Jesus, we're going to have to shift the way we do relationship with one another and not label each other. Gracious God, help us to drop the labels and see your people. Please make it so in all of us. Amen. Thank you, Todd. Our closing hymn this morning is Lord, I Want to Be a Christian, uh, number 402. Let's stand and sing just the first verse.
encounter others. May you adopt God's grammar and move the nouns to adjectives and let yourself and them out of the box. May the beauty of God's creation awe us all. Amen.